Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. It's weekend review time. It's a lovely time. Bells are ringing. Grass is blowing in the breeze. Dan picks a dandelion. Blows. The little weeds drift off, and we watch as they land and grow. And this very weird start to a podcast is just by way of saying hi, everybody. Good morning to you all. Happy Friday. Made it through week 13 now of the fantasy, well, reality, fantasy, reality, whatever, both basketball seasons. I'm running on time today, which is kind of remarkable. I guess the show's like four or five minutes later than I intended, but that's basically on time. That's Los Angeles early. And we've got a lot of stuff to cover. So welcome to the show. I'm Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sportsethos.com presentation. You can find me over on social media at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This show is being simulcast in a lot of different places right now. We're doing it live on YouTube and on Twitter. We've got it going after the fact on all traditional pod channels. Shout out once again to our pals now at the Believe Sports Network for uh, partnering with us here at Sports Ethos. So that's really awesome. And as I've I've done at the beginning of uh, each of our last couple of shows, this is a time of year where I want you all heading over to our trade deadline page. I'll throw the link up for anybody that's watching the video feed of today's show. It's also in the show description. I need all of your help, and it shouldn't take you more than about seven seconds to do it. I do a lot of stuff. And this is not me like saying you owe me one because this is fun. I do this even if you guys weren't watching. But if you guys have enjoyed anything I've done at any point over the last year, podcast, tweet storms, other things on Twitter, answering questions, Discord thing, whatever, please take seven seconds. Go to our trade deadline page and click the thumbs up button. That's all I'm asking of you right now. That's it. Hit the thumbs up button. If you want to subscribe to our YouTube page, that's awesome. I just need the thumbs up because we've got that show. It's Thursday, February 8th. We're starting at 7.30 in the morning Pacific time. We're going first thing, man. Crack of dawn over here on the left coast. And if we have a ton of thumbs up on that bad boy before I even press go, YouTube's just going to blast it out everywhere. We, uh, we got 97, I think, before I went to sleep last night. We're in the low 100s this morning. Please, 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 I beg of you all, please go do that for me. I will love you forever. Let's talk what's been going on for the week. I'm going to make my face, well, let's see. How big should I make my face? Can you guys read that? Now nah, we'll go bigger. Let's go bigger on the words because you guys need to see the names. This, is, of course, is a week in review. We cover the last roughly five to seven days or so, typically more like five days. I know it's like a week in review, but we did our weekend analysis back on Monday. Uh, make sure to follow Ethos Fantasy BK to get your news uh, and uh, subscribe to everything and so on and so forth. But let's start with the ads. That's everybody's favorite part of the these weekly review shows. We're going to dive in with the ads of the week, and some of them are repeat names, and some of them are names that I kind of tweaked a little bit. But just kind of roll with me on this as we go. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo back on there. He had one slow game this week, but then Josh Hart 
sat out the Knicks game on Thursday, and so DiVincenzo went gigantic. I don't think that he necessarily needed to be repeated, but I put him on there because he's been uh, truly impressive in the time he's been given. And with Hard Out, obviously that number went up a lot, but his per-minute production lately has been uh, really impressive, even in, you know, 25 to 28 minutes. And so, you know, uh, at this point, that's enough. Um, and anytime you get more than that, it's just, it's gravy. Jaden Ivey is back on this board. Uh, last couple of games have been 9-cat relevant. Prior to that, he had some very big points league type of games. There's... A, a continuing balance that has to happen with Jaden Ivey. And I've, I've talked about it ad nauseum on these shows, so I don't want to go into that much detail on it again because he's a repeat name. When his percentages are not atrocious and if the turnovers are not too high, he could be a nine-cat guy. But he's, again, in that sort of Westbrookian mold of somebody who can get points and rebounds and assists, not like Russ used to do because... He was a guy who was so good at the counting stats that he actually counterweighted the bad stuff. Ivy is more in the, okay, right now the counting stats are really good, but they're not so elite that they can counterweight the percentages and the turnovers. So, yes, better in 8-cat, better in points league, better if you're punting a percentage. You guys just factor all of that in what you're, in your decision-making process here. But he does need to be on this board because in its some kind of format... He belongs on a team. And as I'm talking about Jaden Ivey, as of about three minutes ago, we did get an update on Cade Cunningham, who's expected back within the next week. So that's going to shift things all around again, and that'll make uh, that'll impact uh, Alec Burks, who's going to be on one of the lists coming up a little bit later in today's show. It also, and before I get to the next name on the ads board, which is Draymond Green, who was on there last week, but I don't think everybody believed me, I, and... I, I'm not super high on Dre. Actually, let's do Draymond real quick. So Draymond played 24 minutes. He makes the guys around him better. And as long as he doesn't do anything else stupid, like choke somebody out or kick someone in the nads, he's going to be impactful for that Warriors team. And he's going to get as many minutes as his starting to aged body now can handle. I don't know that that gets him inside the top 100 in 9-cap, but it gets him close enough and he does such a weird assortment of stats that he almost definitely belongs on a fantasy team. Very good for punt points builds. And you guys know I tend to kind of gravitate in that direction. But a pretty crazy thing happened this morning that I can't... I, I was going to talk about it right at the outset, and then I got sidetracked by our trade deadline show. Um, Sports Illustrated just ended this morning. Which, I know, like, how many of us are, are super, like, ingrained, you know, knuckles deep in Sports Illustrated nowadays? The answer is not as many as, say, like, when I was a kid. Because SI was, like, the thing. The SI cover was always a big deal, and it had this big name power. And yes, it's lost a lot of its oomph over the years. But it's still crazy to think that in one moment... And I don't fully understand what the hell happened here, but apparently a, the arena group, which, and there's like a, a subheader under a subheader and so on and so forth. Um, they just laid off everyone. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early 
so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The Authentic Brands Group apparently revoked the Arena Group's license to publish Sports Illustrated. I don't even really know what that means. I don't know. I don't actually fully understand all that stuff. But, I mean, SI's been around for, what, half a century? And then on the morning of January 19th, 2024, it just gone? You know they're going to be fighting it. Someone's going to have to fight this. But that is crazy. 1954. Thank you uh, to Matt Lowell, who a uh, friend of mine from my time in the minor leagues, for having the actual... Uh, the actual timeline, 1954 to 2024. That's wild. That's absolutely nuts. It's almost 70 years old and then just gone. Man. I guess SI got sold about five years ago, these things that happened and then COVID and then you sort of forget all about it. But this is... This is crazy, man. Just slowly kind of bled away and then kaput. Woof. Tough morning for uh tough morning for journalism, man. Another tough morning. Holy crap, David Perdon. What's up, dude? Wow, what a crazy start to the show. David is uh <laughs> this has nothing to do with anything here, but uh, one of my very late night Bakersfield Blaze listeners who was up first thing in Scotland. Hey, you know, uh, Doc was telling me, we had Dr. A on the show a couple days ago. He was saying that one thing I should make sure to do is to ask where people are from. And I'll be blown away how, at how cool it is. So I'm going to do that at some point in the middle of the show. But right now, the sort of live listeners, you guys are still filing in a little bit. So I'll hold off on that for a little bit. Let's get back into the ads uh, Buddy Heald is an ad right now for me, and it's a little bit speculative because we don't know exactly what the Pacers' rotation is going to be like. Um, you cannot base what you're doing on yesterday's results because they were down Neesmith, they were down Nemhard, they were down Siakam, they were down Halliburton. Like You're talking four rotation guys. So obviously Buddy Heald had uh, a perfectly reasonable amount of things to do. The question in my mind is, okay, so we know Siakam is going to start so that'll push Jalen Smith to the bench. And we know Neesmith and Halliburton are going to start. And that'll push TJ McConnell to the bench. But then between Benedict Matherin and Buddy Heald, which one gets benched of those last two? That's the one I'm not entirely certain of. So if it's Heald that starts, I would then hold on to him. It's, if it's Matherin that starts, I don't think either of those guys ends up actually, Matherin or Heald, ends up having value. But... I think it's worth our time to hold on to Heald for like a day, three days, whatever it takes to see Neesmith and Halliburton also get back because it sounds like Siakam's going to play tonight to find out if Buddy Heald's going to be in their starting lineup. Goga Batadze is on my ads board. The Magic seem like they're leaning towards letting him continue to play about half the ball game, and in half a ball game, he's been right at the edge of the top 100. Now, I reserve the right 
to abandon ship on this Goga thing. They, however, have taken Mo Wagner out of the rotation. Mo's just stopped playing. Wendell Carter Jr., Goga, those guys are splitting the 48 minutes at center right down the pipe. In fact, their last ball game, each guy had exactly 24 minutes played, down to the second. If Goga drops down below 23, I think you drop. But if he's getting about half the ball game, he's playable as a low-end, low-upside, second, third-string center. Wendell Carter Jr., interestingly enough, who did have a good last ball game, actually has the worse overall nine-cat ability than Goga because Wendell doesn't really get defensive stats. Don't stop. Don't talk to me about how he got a couple in the last ball game. We're talking about full body of work. He doesn't get many. Wendell Carter Jr. is better suited for points leagues because he's more consistent with points and boards, things of that nature. Uh, but 9-cat, he contributes in, like, two. Xavier Tillman is on my ads board. Um, again, you know, we're talking low upside types. His last ball game, Tillman had 10 points, 5 boards, 6 assists, a steal, and a block. He played 36 minutes, though. That's the important thing. If a center, even on a bad team, is out there for 36 minutes, he's going to do enough because he's just going to be close to the bucket. That's all you got to do. Just be big and be near a bucket because you'll get rebounds then. You'll get some blocks or steals just by being near the rim. Don't get into foul trouble. You'll survive. Tillman's not a good free throw shooter, but he didn't take any in that ball game. He's usually an okay field goal percent guy, although he was going up against Rudy Gobert, so sub 50% in that last ball game. But again, like, if Santi Aldama is not going to get a ton of center minutes, then it has to be Tillman right now. We'll see if Memphis brings in anybody else just to sort of try people out, because this season is a lost cause for the Grizzlies at this point. Unfortunate, but true. They're down most of their starters. Uh, so Tillman's on that board, and then... Um, and I forgot, I had him on the board last week. I don't know why I didn't put him back this time around. In fact, let's just do this while you guys are watching. Let's make sure that everybody's got... You know what? Because I, I put him in the fill-in board, but Kennard and Vince Williams can be on the ads board because even as fill-ins, they're so, they're so long-term that it almost qualifies as more than that. Like, Marcus Smart's going to be out another five weeks, right? And that's the first time that you might see something impacted here. Because Desmond Bain will be out probably longer than that. Anyway, we'll talk about we'll talk more about Kennard and Vince Williams when we get to the the injury replacement board. But that's why they're not on the ads board, or they weren't on it initially, because they are technically filling in for Bain and Smart and John Morant, but Jaw's out for the year, so you can't really call him you know anybody taking his place is no longer a fill in because he's not coming back, and the other two guys probably do, but we're talking right down the stretch. Let's do the holds next. Who should we hold on to here? A few of you, by the way, have already written in the chat room where you guys are listening from, <laughs> which, awesome. We'll, we'll do more of that in a little bit. Your holds list, uh, let's see, a few of them require explanation, a few of them don't. I don't know why Alex Caruso's on there. I think I just forgot to delete him off of last week. So let's do that while you guys are watching, too. Goodbye, Alex Caruso. You're not a hold. You're just a dude who needs to be on rosters. Alex Caruso is so freaking good, man. I'm telling you, everybody's talking about what they would give up to get DeJounte Murray. Teams should be giving up almost that much to get Caruso. If he could 
just consistently stay healthy, and he has for the last little bit, knock on something for the Bulls' sake. He's at 10 points, 3.5 boards, 2.5 assists, 1.3 steals, a block, almost two three-pointers. He's really improved his shooting. And when he's on the court, he's just one of the best plus-minus guys in the whole league because he's one of probably the top five defenders in the NBA, and people don't realize that. That kid is something else. So impressive. Number 83, by the way, in 9-cat this year. Love me some Caruso. Anyway, he doesn't need to be on a holds board because I don't think anybody's thinking about it. Aaron Neesmith is a hold. Do we find out what his deal's going to be in Indiana now that they're getting all these names? Uh, Dennis Schroeder is a, is a hold. This one I'm less excited about. He's been, like, he's been generally fine, and it doesn't seem like the wheels are going to totally come off but he's like kind of right in that same Draymond Green rank area of like between 100 and 130, which is good enough in some instances. You know, if you're punting threes, say, Dennis Schroeder makes a lot of sense as your point guard because he doesn't shoot the ball from outside particularly well. But, you know, decent percentages lately and some assists and things like that. So... I can't specifically say Schroeder's droppable because there's a lot of formats where he makes sense. Just not really, whoopsies, turned the page by accident. Just not really my format. Derek Lively's a hold. He's back and he's playing well, so this one's a pretty easy one. Max Struess is a very tough hold right now. He's on a run for the ages of shooting futility. Because over the last month, he's still playing 31 minutes a game, which is down a tiny bit. And he's still getting, you know, four to five rebounds. And he's still getting four assists. And he's still getting a steal. And he's still getting over half a block. But he's shooting 36%. And you can go back farther than that with Struess. I mean, it has been ungodly. 38% for the last two months. He continues to play a lot of minutes. And he continues to get boards and assists and steals and blocks better than we expected coming into the year. But the whole story on him right now is that he cannot throw a stone in the ocean. And I've used that expression before. He cannot shoot right now. I think he's gassed. I saw a stat, I think it was maybe a week ago, that he had run the fifth most, the fifth longest distance of anybody in the NBA this year behind, like, Tyrese Maxey, and I forget who the other names were on, on the, like, most running board. Uh, but Struess has played in 39 ball games. He hasn't missed much time. His minutes are high. He's always on the move. And he's tired. And he's a little bit dinged up. And it's all kind of catching up with him right now. But the beauty is, these guys are NBA players. And eventually, they pull out of these shooting nosedives. And the cool thing about Struess is, we're seeing right now, sub-40% shooting for the year. And he's still just barely hanging on to 9-cat value. He's right around 110 which is startable in most 12-team formats. But he can't shoot 35%. You can't. So if you got him in Roto, you bench him because he's hurting you more than he's helping right now. Head-to-head, I think you just have to sort of plow through and wait for him to come out the other side and have a stretch where he shoots 48 49% for a couple of weeks and brings his season number back up to 41 42 He's been at 44 before. Hard to know exactly how this thing ends for him because uh, he hasn't had this kind of workload in the past. But he's just not, like, he's too good to be a 35% shooter long-term. 
Dan says, while also acknowledging that he's basically been a 35% shooter for almost two months now, he will snap out of it. We've seen it a thousand times with guys in the NBA. Guys go through prolonged slumps sometimes, and that's what this is. Trey Jones is a hold. I don't think that anybody was really considering a drop on Trey, but just in case in the outside goofball chance you were thinking about it, don't do it. Don't do it. He's starting, and he's a top 100 guy when he's starting, so don't do it. Jonas Valanciunas is a hold. He has not been very good lately, JV. Um, his minutes have trended down hard. Last 10 ball games, he's only at 23 minutes per game. But here's the thing. Uh... It'll be okay. Because even at 23 minutes per game, he's still inside the top 100 at 13 points, 9 boards, a block, and good percentages. He has a very high floor. I was too mean to JV during draft season because I said I didn't want to draft him inside the top 100. Mostly because I thought he and Larry Nance were going to split time, and I thought Zion might even see a couple minutes at center. And now you're kind of seeing that. But again, the beauty of JV is that he doesn't need 28 minutes to be fantasy startable. He needs 28 minutes to be a top 50 guy, which was the big surprise so far. Now he's back down to 22, 23, 24 minutes, more where I expected him to be this year. Still better than my rank. I had him between 100 and 120. He's at more like 80 to 100 range, so he's still okay, but he's not a drop. That's no. And then probably the toughest one here uh, is Cam Johnson, I think maybe the hardest hold right now. But the argument here is that Brooklyn's just been atrocious. The whole team sucks. I would bet a, a small fortune that playing against the Lakers wakes him up a little bit. Like, someone's going to have a good game tonight. I don't know who it's going to be. It might be Bridges, might be Cam Johnson, might be Cam Thomas. He feels like just the kind of guy that would go nuts in Los Angeles. Someone's going to sh- shoot the lights out because it's the Lakers, and that's just what happens. But the Nets are an absolute dumpster fire. I think they've convinced themselves internally that if they could get Ben Simmons back, they'd be more competitive again. And frankly, I have two, I have two sort of competing thoughts on Simmons in my mind. Competing thought number one. I've been on record on this show as saying, I don't think Ben Simmons plays more than five more games this year. I could be wrong. I'm a fantasy analyst. I'm guessing. But this dude has, uh, I don't know if it's degenerative nerve issues or if it's between the ears or some combination of both. But he just, like, he hasn't played for more than a couple of weeks in the better part of half a decade now. It's been like three years. But the other thing is, if he somehow manages to prove me wrong on point one, if he does, if Ben Simmons does get healthy and plays for a couple of months, he would make most of the team better. Besides Spencer Dinwiddie, who's also already falling off a cliff. Dinwiddie already has a a suspect fantasy game, and so when it's suspect fantasy game and it's also not going well, he's on a... Fear not, everybody. He's on an upcoming list here on today's show. Uh, Ben Simmons would hurt him, but he would probably help most of these other guys because they'd just be more open with him as the distributor. To that end, a lot of these guys are kind of buy lows. Cam Johnson is a buy low because you can get him for almost nothing right now. Mikael Bridges is a buy low. Uh, I think I had him on the buy low show yesterday. I, I don't like Spencer Dinwiddie enough to call him a buy low. Nick Claxton, 
the, I mean, he's been fine. He's mostly been the free throws that have held him back lately. But, like, the whole team is a buy low because something's got to give. What I'd like to see happen is for them to sell off parts at the trade deadline. But I don't know that they could – I don't know that they would get enough for the parts that I'd want them to sell anyway. So, like, you might see Dorian Finney-Smith get moved for, you know, some seconds and and filler. But that's not going to change who does stuff for Brooklyn. All that to say, hold on to the Nets or buy low on the Nets because it can't possibly get any worse than it is right now. That whole team is a trash situation. This, by the way, feels like a good time to remind everybody to check out our pals at manscaped.com. Promo code over there is ethos20, ethos20, to get 20% off your order at manscaped.com. Look at my face, people. Look at how pretty I've become actually taking care of my grooming. You remember how rabbinic the beard was like three days ago? I manscaped that bad boy. I manscaped it. And now I'm presentable again. I'm able to go out in public. Look at that. I'll even take the glasses off. I can't see all that well right now, but now you can really get a look. Oh, yeah. Did you guys know I have green eyes? Hard to tell behind the glasses. It's true. Ethos20, manscaped.com. Go there today. Also, mid-show reminder, follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. And please, those of you that didn't do it at the front end, take those seven seconds to go over to our trade deadline show page and hit the thumbs up. I beg of you. I beg of you. Go hit that thumbs up over there. Uh, I think we've gotten 11 of them so far since I've been yelling about it on the show. So I don't know if we can get a few more. And also, if you want to hit like on this show, that's also cool. But I actually want it more on the trade deadline show. Here's the I'm scared list. I had these guys on the list last week. Uh, Derek Jones Jr., Dante Exum, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., blah, 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 so on and so forth. So THJ, we know Tim Hardaway is going to be good uh, anytime that Kyrie or Luka sits out a ball game because he needs 15 to 20 shots. If he's going to get shots up, he's probably going to be okay. That's the Hardaway story. These other guys... It's not about the shots so much as it is just having a little bit more to do. Because for Dante Exum, it was about field goal percent, but he needs to take enough shots for that to be a positive impact thing. And for Derek Jones Jr., uh, he can get you a block or a steal every once in a while, but you also need him to take a few shots to be the other option when Tim Hardaway is not chucking. And, you know, it, it's small, but these guys going from third to fourth option, or fourth to fifth fifth option, whatever it is, all those little steps, they hurt. Because these guys were hanging, these guys were like just inside the play line as it was. You bump them down just a little bit. That actually can move a guy over or behind the cut line. Uh, I have Brandon Pajemski back on this list. He's listed as hanging by a thread. He's not a drop for me yet, but it is teetering on that brink. And you could make a similar argument to him as you could about Struess, where I think I, I think the fatigue is playing a pretty large role. Uh, my concern here with the Warriors that they're they have other directions they could go. Where with the Cavs, we've seen now there isn't a, if there was another direction, they would have done it by now. Jalen Suggs is also a guy I'm putting on the uh, extreme like short leash list right now. How much longer I'm willing to watch him scuffle. I actually think he's kind of tired and a little bit banged up too. And then Spencer Dinwiddie, who we just talked about a moment ago. Uh, I'm actually fine if you guys wanted to drop Dinwiddie in a lot of formats. Points leagues, you can probably hang on. 
but horrible field goal percent, one of the worst in the entire league, doesn't do enough in the other stuff. Turnovers are not great. Field goal percent, terrible. Free throw percent is not good enough to counterbalance that the way that some of the other bad field goal percent guys are. He doesn't get that many defensive stats. I mean, he's like, it's like Dennis Schroeder, but with bad field goal percent. Field goal percent is one of the few things that Schroeder isn't completely screwing up with some points, some assists. That's just not enough here for Dinwiddie. I've been preaching the negative Dinwiddie thing for a long time, and I don't mean to be... Like, people think that I don't like players when I talk down about their fantasy game. I don't care about their reality game. That's not entirely true. I do care about their reality game in as much as whether it will force them into different minutes. Like, D'Angelo Russell is a good example of this. Last week, I was screaming from the mountaintops. His reality game is good enough that none of this with the Lakers makes sense, and he's going to get to do more soon. And then, sure enough, they decided they needed more offense, and they played him more. Such is not the case with Spencer Dinwiddie. He's not so good on offense that Brooklyn has to keep him on the floor, because we saw when he's been bad lately, he's been benched for Dennis Smith Jr. And when he's been good, he gets his minutes back. That's a dangerous spot to be in. So Dinwiddie, I don't care about anymore at this point. I've been trying to convince many of you that he was a drop basically from the minute that, I think it was Cam Thomas and Cam Johnson both came back around. Uh, one was before the other. That was like a month ago now. I, I can't remember what happened a month ago. Uh, and I don't think anybody believed me, but I think folks are probably starting to believe me now. Um, and then on the other ones, we'll check back in on, on Pajemski and Suggs a week from today, and we'll check in on them every day, basically. But it's possible that they buy themselves additional time. It's also possible that we are headed towards the end of the line for them. We will find out soon, and that's why we want to be a little bit patient with these guys. But they are on the I'm nervous board because I wanted you guys to know that I am considering going in a different direction. A few watch list names for you guys. Andrew Wiggins, uh, he's getting more of his job back with the Warriors. I don't know that it's going to matter because he's been bad all year, and I don't see why on January 19th that should magically change. Santi Aldama is a watch list guy in case the Grizzlies ever decide to just start giving JJJ games off or Xavier Tillman has some sort of little injury that knocks him out. Aldama in 20 to 24 minutes is not quite good enough because he's not a great percentages guy despite being a big man. Uh, good with points boards, does get some steals and blocks. Um... I feel like he needs about 27, 28 minutes to get there for me. And I don't think he gets there unless one more guy goes down. But it's possible. Maybe he does. That's why he's on the watch list. Kelly Oubre Jr. is on the watch list. Um, I don't think he's going to make it farther than that. And then Larry Nance Jr., who you guys know I have a very soft spot for Larry Nance. He's uh, beloved one of the funnier, smarter, more generous dudes in the NBA. He's just like, everybody loves him. The fans love him. His teammates love him. Coaches love him. He's hard not to, it's hard not to love Larry Nance Jr. Uh, but from a fantasy standpoint, he also has a really good stat set. The problem, of course, is that Jonas Valanciunas is a freaking warrior. Dude missed, what, like six weeks with an ankle sprain about three years ago. And honest to God, I can't remember the, any other time he's missed significant action lately JV's just always there and as long as JV's always there it's going to be hard for Nance to get more than 23-24 minutes 
And then with the fact that, you know, if Valanciunas has a big ball game or if they need his offense more than they need Nance's defense, you might see the numbers flip worse for Larry. He's been good enough, Nance has, the last one to two weeks to start. But the the clouds of inconsistency in terms of just role and minutes aren't going anywhere as long as JV is upright. And that makes it really hard for me to say, oh, yeah, you can you know play Larry Nance against the games cap because what if he comes out and plays 17 minutes? It could happen one of these nights. So I like Larry a lot. I'm just not quite there yet with him this year. I've been fooled so many times, and as the Who taught us, we won't get fooled again. The Stream While Warm board had a couple of tweaks between last week and this week. We added Kevin Herter to the Stream While Warm list, which now makes up the following eight names. Guys that you only play when they're hot, drop them when they're not. Bobby Portis, Nas Reed, Cole Anthony, Kevin Love, Denny Avdia, Jordan Clarkson, R.J. Barrett, Kevin Herter. Streaky players in the NBA whose minutes or shooting, one or the other, is very streaky and when they're on the good side, you can cash in. And when they're not, you got to get the hell out of there before it destroys you. And now, injury replacement board. Shorter this week. You guys might notice. I think there's only 10, well, 11 names because I have two guys on one line. And uh, this is way less. Previous weeks, we've had this go into multiple pages so uh, even though it feels like everybody just went down, I think the reality is that everybody that just went down was on the Grizzlies. They were all just on the same team, uh, other than like Ivica Zubats and the Grizzlies. Those are, those are the injuries of late. You have uh, a couple of things um, that are shorter term, and you know we work those into the board here, but uh, for the most part, it's the Grizzlies... And Ivica Zubats. But you add them onto the names that were already on there, um, and you add it to the fact that uh, a handful of guys actually came back this week, then you have this slightly more manageable injury board. So, new name, Daniel Gafford in the concussion protocol. I wasn't going to play Marvin Bagley because uh, I figured the Wizards would ease him in, but they played his ass 40 minutes. That was crazy. No one could have seen 40 minutes coming. Even if you had the gall to play him as a streamer, you were probably like, man, I hope this dude gets like 27 minutes and scores 15 points with eight boards. Well, he played 39 minutes, had 20 and 11 with five defensive stats and went a robust 0 for 5 at the free throw line. Youch! Did so many good things. And then had diarrhea right on top of the table where everybody was eating. Served this gourmet meal and then just pooed on it. But it's not going to be that bad every time. He's not a good foul shooter, but he's not that bad. Um, and if you want to play Bagley, I think in the next game, presumably if Gafford misses another one, I think I'd have to give you the okay to do it. They're playing the Spurs tomorrow on Saturday. So you figure that'll be a competitive ball game, which is, again, all we really ever ask of the Wizards. So bleep it. Marvin Bagley to the moon. Please don't foul him. TJ McConnell, Halliburton's been out. Nemhard is out also, so that makes it even easier for TJ. But Halley is close, is what we've heard. So obviously, you'd keep a very tight watch on that. Alec Burks has been a pretty good fill-in since Cade Cunningham went down. He was actually scoring an okay amount even when Cade was there. But just that extra bit has been enough to get him into startable in most formats. 
Mason Plumley is the fill-in with Evita Zubats down. Clippers were very happy to get Plumley back and not have to play Daniel Tice big minutes. Can Plumley get 30 minutes a game? I'd call it questionable because even Zubats at times had trouble getting to 30, and Zoo is better than Plumley. Uh, but Mason can pass, he can rebound and get some steals. He doesn't block shots really. I know we got a couple in the last ball game, but again, you have to look at the body of work with these people. I'm not that high on Plumley. Terrible free throw shooting. I don't know how many minutes he's going to get uh, on a game to game basis, but he is your fill in for Zubots. And if you're looking for like a third string center, he can definitely get you that. Al Horford is your fill in guy with Boston. It sounds like the Celtics that skipped their last ball game. Uh, is those guys are likely to be back, so then you would not play Al Horford. But if anybody sits out for the Celtics, Al's your guy. Karis Levert, he's been on this list for a while with Darius Garland out, although I'll say again, I think Garland's back in the next two weeks. I don't have any official, nothing official to say that I know that to be true. I just feel it to be true, and I've gotten a lot of those I feel it calls right before. Sadiq Bey, who is like the small forward equivalent of Goga Batadze, he'll be around the edge of the top 100. Blarp. Nick Richards, same general story. Mark Williams, also a guy that I think you could probably trade for at an insane discount right now because who the hell knows if he ever comes back, but I don't know if I have the stones to do that one. Malcolm Brogdon is your fill-in with Shaden Sharp out in Portland. And then, obviously, with Memphis, we mentioned these two guys earlier. They're basically ads because fill-ins for two months are effectively ads. But if... I don't know why I put Jaw instead of uh, Bane. That should say Bane and Marcus Smart, not Jaw and Marcus Smart. That's a typo on my part. Uh, if Bane and Smart do come back in six weeks, then these guys will go back to probably not being very good. But, I don't know, maybe they don't come back. Maybe the Grizzlies just shut him down for the year, in which case these guys would move from injury replacement to ads board. But because I'm pedantic and because I want to make sure everything is exactly where it belongs, they have to be listed as injury replacements because if those guys in front of them weren't hurt, they wouldn't be putting up these numbers. And finally, stashes. No, I tricked you. Stashes are coming Tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, I have plans to do a Stashes show on Saturday. Saturday's tomorrow. Yeah, today's Friday. Uh, I have a few names up my sleeve. You guys have heard me mention them in passing on previous shows. If you've been listening very closely, you probably know who they are, or at least some of them. But there was a big groundswell, mostly on social media, where, again, you guys can find me at Dan Bespris. That people were like, yes, Dan, who are your stashes? Are you stashing this guy? Are you stashing that guy? The answer is, let's just do a little show about it. That's the easiest way, because we can go into detail on the odds of certain guys working out. I just, I don't think social media is the right venue to talk about who your stashes are. And the reason I don't think it's the right venue is because every stash requires an explanation that doesn't fit in 150 characters. And typing out just a wall of text on a Twitter thread, nobody reads that. It needs to be in little bullets. But that's not the way you do it with these discussions. So, for example, let's take uh, one name that we'll probably talk about on tomorrow's show. Gary Trent Jr., possible stash. 
if you think Toronto moves Bruce Brown on to another place, which it sounds like they're considering doing. If I were trying to do that on social media, and I say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about stashing Gary Trent Jr. People will be like, why? Who am I dropping? What are the reasons here? Okay, look, here's the thing. You have to take all of these with this, what are the odds that it pans out? What are the odds that not only does Toronto trade Bruce Brown, but nobody comes back that would take Gary Trent's minutes, and more importantly, nobody comes back that would take any more shots away. Because shots are already at a premium behind Scotty Barnes, R.J. Barrett, and Emmanuel Quickly. Those guys are all getting a bunch on offense. Gary Trent cannot afford to be any farther down the pecking order than fourth. And frankly, even that is iffy. But with Bruce Brown around, Gary Trent becomes more like four and a half th- because he's basically splitting it, and Brown is probably a better fit for what that team's trying to do right now anyway. But Toronto's not trying to win anything this year. Sorry. I know they're going to peel a win away every now and again, and they you know, they had a good one right after the trade went down, but they're not a good basketball team. They're 12th in the Eastern Conference. They're selling off pieces. They're two games back of the Hawks for the 10 seed just to get into the play-in tournament, which, by the way, it's not out of reach because the Hawks are also kind of bad. Uh, the Nets are in front of them, also a very bad team, so anything's possible. But the Raptors are smart. Masai Ujiri's smart. He's not going to make a run at it when they could get a bunch of stuff and accelerate a rebuild around Scotty Barnes quickly and uh, Canadian poster boy R.J. Barrett. It would be dumb to make a run at it if you could acquire a bunch of assets that you could either then package for something cool or just use them and get fun young players. So either one of two things is going to happen. Either the Raptors surprise the hell out of all of us by trading for a superstar using all the stuff they just got for Siakam, but that seems dumb because they just traded away Siakam, who's not a superstar, but not that far behind that level. He's like a near star level player, and they were bad even with him. The Raptors are not one pretty damn good player away from being good. They are multiple pretty damn good players, or one, like, transcendent player, but those guys are not on the market. Zach Levine is not going to turn the Raptors into a six seed. DeJounte Murray's not going to turn the Raptors into a six seed. These guys might get the Raptors back in the hunt for the 9-10. Is that the move? Probably not. And could I have said all of that on Twitter? No. You need a show. So tomorrow we'll do a show on stashes and we'll probably recycle some of what I just talked about on Gary Trent, uh, and I hope you guys will tune in for that. Uh, quick check of the chat room. By the way, I would love to know where all of you guys are from. That'd be really cool. And already I've seen <laughs> Southern New Jersey was the first one that popped up. What a perfect first one to have. Uh, Australia, but living in Sweden. Puerto Rico. Uh, Taiwan. Awesome. And then this question, did you go to Cal, man? Yeah, I went to Cal. Go Bears. I wear a Cal hat. Uh, there it is. It's over on the wall over here. I wear a, an Oski hat every once in a while on the show. That I don't know if people catch that because it doesn't... Speci- I mean, it says Cal in very small letters across... Oski's the mascot. That's the name of the bear. Uh, it says Cal, very small letters across Oski's hat on my hat. It's like a hat within a hat. Um, but it's not like a big, obvious Cal logo across it. But apparently I'm going to have to get used to Eastern Time Zone stuff because Cal's in the ACC now and... To that, uh, we got Washington D.C. that just picked up, uh, just popped into the chat room. Um, 
Did anybody ask anything that I didn't hit? Uh, JJJ shutdown risk question. This is from our friend in southern New Jersey. Yeah, you know, that's not a bad question. So, uh, JJJ had a big ball game yesterday. That was cool. Um, he's number 47 on the year after, you guys remember, just an absolutely atrocious start to the season. But over the last two months... He's been a third-rounder, I believe, and over the last one month, yeah, also in the third round. The blocks haven't really been where we all expected, and there's still a chance that those ramp up. He goes on a big block surge, and that would push him from third round up to probably second or maybe even late first. But the question is, what can you get for him right now? Because everybody's afraid, and rightfully so, that the Grizzlies are going to pull the plug on this year, and they will at some point because they're 15 and 26, they're not catching the three or, frankly, four worst teams in the league, meaning you're not going to get in that bottom three to get the, the equal share at lotto balls. But the Grizzlies have a shot to be worse than the Blazers. They're three and a half games better than Portland right now. And they're basically in a dead heat with teams like the Raptors. The Nets are like a game, game and a half ahead of the Grizzlies in the standings. The Warriors are going to keep trying, so I don't think they have to worry about that. But the Grizzlies are going to want to try to get worse than the Blazers and make sure that they stay worse than the Nets and the Raptors. So the plug could get pulled at any minute here. Luckily, they're bad enough at the, at the moment where they can lose even if they're playing JJJ a lot of the time. What could you get back? I think you could probably still get back somebody in the kind of like... And it can't be lately. It's got to be like full season, and you probably want to go for somebody who doesn't have as much name power as they do fantasy power. So like... You could get Nick Claxton back, I think, pretty easily for JJJ. He's right around 50, mostly because his free throw shooting has been... He's taking more of them. That's not great. Um, you could probably get Keegan Murray. I think you could aim higher than that, frankly. You could probably get... Oh, who could you get? You could get Franz Wagner while he's hurt. You could probably even aim higher than that. You might be able to get someone like a DeMar DeRozan... For JJJ, you might be able to get someone like a Daniel Gafford when he comes back. He's been really good this year. Um, so I don't think all is lost. I think you can get a really productive player for him. Or what I'm probably doing here is, I don't know that I would try to move JJJ right after everybody goes down for the Grizzlies. I think it's better to just let that news kind of settle and let Memphis lose a couple of ball games. Maybe they accidentally win one again like they did a few days ago. And then maybe you could get, like, Jalen Williams, who's been on the upswing for JJJ. I'd love to get J-Dub. That would be an amazing grab. You might be able to trade for Evan Mobley, who's out for another probably three weeks, but then you could get, you know, top 40 production when he comes back. So give it another three games and then see what you can churn out. Uh, let's see. We got L.A. We got a Los Angeles person. Um, Brazil, of course, that's my boy Rubens, also a, uh, Cal Bear. Um, uh, Louis, I may need to look that one up. I don't know. Uh, Canada, sweet. Question about Josh Giddy. Um, who's had a slightly better stretch. So, obviously, he, he has historically been better in the second half of seasons. I'm sure that the weight of not being prosecuted uh, in Newport Beach here in, in Southern California 
being lifted is helpful. And to Giddy's credit, over the last, uh, what is it, about a month, he's been right around top 100, which is probably a better case scenario for him uh, because he's always going to be a guard who rebounds well, gets some assists, doesn't shoot the three ball, doesn't get defensive stats, and can be okay at field goal percent and free throw percent, but probably isn't going to be a helper in either of those because he doesn't go to the foul line almost ever. And field goal percent is is sort of sub-average, but he doesn't shoot that much, so it's sort of like a small negative. Basically, all that to say, I think you could probably sell high on Giddy if people are looking at the last couple of weeks and are like, oh my god, Josh Giddy is the man now. Um... You know, small sample size theater. He's at 90% from the free throw line over the last two weeks. He's at seven boards and six assists. And it's been good enough to get him into that sort of like 75 to 100 range. But also, if you extrapolate what he's done the last two weeks for an entire season, it's not 75 range. He's in the 75 range because a number of guys that are normally ahead of him over the last two weeks have had bad weeks. 11.7 boards, 6 assists. I mean, you're, you're talking about Draymond without defensive stats. That's probably 100 to 125 range, which is where he was last year, by the way. That's where he finished. He'll go on a run here of, you know, 50 to 90. And then, unfortunately, we've seen it when the uh, free throw percent comes back to earth or if the rebounds and assists come down at all, then he falls back into that 150 range. So... No, I don't think anything substantial changed. Giddy's a better second-half player than first half. We got a Seattle, by the way, in the chat room. Um, but when he runs hot like this, you try to move him. And I think that's probably where we'll take a pause on this one. About 50 minutes, that's enough, right? You've heard enough of Dan lecturing to you. Uh, especially with his show tomorrow. We'll do a stash show tomorrow. Thank you again, everybody, for listening, whether it's live, whether it's after the fact. Again, I ask all of you, please... And Vegas, shout out Vegas in the chat room. Please find our trade deadline live page link in the show description. If you didn't see it while I was going through it live, head there and please, please, please hit that thumbs up button. It is a huge deal for us. I want to get to 500 before February the 8th, so I'm going to be slamming this down your throat multiple times a day, every day for the next 20. Do it now. If we get to 500 early, then you can stop hearing me yell about it. Have a great Friday, everybody. Enjoy the games tonight. We'll do some stuff on social media uh, as it pertains to those games coming up. And I will see you all, or you'll hear me, tomorrow. Stash day. Later for now. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.